with that, hey, let me read uh, the beginning of the text that we're going to look at, and then I'll pray for us once more. Verse 27 is where we're starting. It says, Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the book of John, how it just over and over again points us to Jesus. Uh, we pray now that you would just open our eyes and our hearts as we, as we read this text, as we seek to apply it to our lives. God, would you guide us? Would you teach us? Would you encourage us and challenge us and just do all the things that you want to do through your word and in us this morning? We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, when I was in high school, uh, early high school, I was probably like 13 or 14 years old, our youth group at church back in Sacramento was talking a lot about evangelism and sharing the good news of Jesus. And there was this push in our youth group to be contagious Christians, right? People who share Jesus. And I remember I was doing a Bible study one time by myself, sitting at a Starbucks outside uh, in Gold River, California, outside of Sacramento there. And there was this man across the way outdoors sitting by himself. And I got this sense that God wanted me to go and talk to him about Jesus or go share this message. Hey, I want you to know that God loves you. Okay? And so I, I was internally conflicted. I was nervous. I was scared about this, but I felt like God was telling me to do it. And so I eventually worked up the courage and I got up and awkwardly like walked across the way to this guy and approached him. He was like an older guy, kind of gruff looking. And I was like, hey, I just, just wanted you to know, I feel like I'm supposed to tell you that, that God loves you. And uh, he just kind of like shooed me away with his arm. You know, just was kind of like, mm, I, I, mm. I, didn't, I don't think he even said words. I just, mm. He's like, I don't, I don't really want whatever it is you're selling. I don't even know and, he, and he sent me away. And I was like, oh, okay, thanks. And just went and sat down. And it was very uncomfortable. And, you know, sometimes when people share stories like this, you know, the speaker will say, and then, you, never, you know, nothing happened then. But then like 10 years later, the guy came and he saw me at the same Starbucks. And he came up and he said, hey, that one day 10 years ago, you told me that God loved me and that changed my life and here's what God's doing in my life. You heard stories like that? This isn't one of those stories, okay? <laughs> Never heard from him again. Uh, if, although, hey, if like 20 years ago you were approached at a Starbucks by this kind of slightly chubby, you know, middle school, or high school kid and told that God loved you and it changed your life, come tell me afterwards. I'd love to hear that that was you because to this day I don't know who exactly that was. But the reason I share that story is because if you're anything like me, you know that sometimes encounters where you're trying to share Jesus can be sort of you know, clunky or awkward or there's pressure or you don't know how it goes. Or maybe you want to share Jesus more with people, but you don't know it or how. Or maybe you've had, again, bad experiences where you felt like, oh, you have, you've been pressured to do it or you have to pressure other people. It feels like you're a used car salesman or you're maybe you and your past have been put off by like pushy church people trying to do the evangelism thing a little too heavy handed. And so for a lot of reasons, evangelism, sharing the good news of Jesus with other people, can be kind of a tough topic, kind of sensitive in our day. And so I'm really glad that uh, our passage this morning shows us evangelism modeled by the woman at the well, and then it teaches us a lot about how we should think about and approach sharing 
the good news of Jesus. So for two weeks now, we've, we've seen this encounter between Jesus and the woman of Samaria. And we saw a few weeks ago that Jesus crosses virtually every cultural barrier in order to engage with this woman. He crosses racial barriers, gender barriers, religious barriers, moral barriers to draw near to her. Shows her that he knows everything about her. And he still invites her to come and experience this, this living water that he has to offer, that she could satisfy the deepest thirst of her soul with what Jesus has to offer. And there's one last chunk of the story this morning. This is part three of this three-part look at the woman at the well. And we see verse 27, how it continues. Just then, after Jesus reveals himself to be the Messiah, he tells her, hey, that's me. Just then, verse 27 says, his disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Okay, remember this whole time the disciples were where? They were in town buying lunch. They were at Subway, right, getting footlong sandwiches and, and sun chips to bring back to Jesus. So it was just Jesus and the woman. They, they, they've been talking for the past two weeks. It's just them. And the disciples come back and they're surprised that Jesus is talking with a woman. Right? For a number of reasons, culturally, that we've talked about in the past few weeks. But the woman doesn't talk to them. What does she do? Verse 28, she leaves her water jar, it says. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So she, as the disciples return, books it back to town, and she tells everybody, you got to come see this Jesus guy. He told me everything I ever did. She leaves her water jar, which, again, we don't know exactly why that detail is included. You know, Jesus asked for a drink at the beginning, so maybe she's like, hey, I'll leave this here. Jesus could have a drink for it. Maybe in her excitement and in her joy and in her hurry, she can't think about anything else. She just leaves the jar, and she has to go tell people about Jesus. Maybe there's some... Uh, deeper symbolism here that, right, we're talking about living water versus just this natural water that she's drawing from the well. And so maybe the fact that she left the jar is a sign that she's left the old behind and she's embraced this new living water that Jesus has to offer. Perhaps, we're not entirely sure, but she leaves the water jar. She goes back to town. And what we do know for sure is that she tells everybody, you got to come see this Jesus, right? Our, our commitments, worship, connect, grow, go. We talk about those four a lot, right? Worship, connect, grow, go. She's going. She's going out. She's telling people the good news. She can't keep it to herself. And so the first question we have to ask about this whole thing is, why can't she keep it to herself? Why does she go and tell everybody about Jesus? Because notice in the passage, Jesus doesn't tell her to do this, Right? You don't see, hey, you have to now, in order to like earn your keep around here, you got to go, and there's a quota. you got some numbers. you got to bring some people to faith, so go get to work. You better start now. I mean, he doesn't say, hey, go do this. She just, she just does it. She's not guilted into it. Not even told clearly to do it. She just goes and does it. So there's a few like fill-in-the-blanks. If we had fill-in-the-blank sheets, this would be the first fill-in-the-blank. Um, there's going to be a number of them. But evangelism is natural. Okay, let's first fill in the blank. Evangelism is natural, meaning we see that we're, we're commanded by Jesus to make disciples, to be his witnesses, to, uh, to share the faith. So we see it's commanded in Scripture. We're told to do it. 
But, but also, it's just this natural thing that happens when we encounter Jesus. It's just this natural overflow of the heart when we truly encounter Jesus. Think about this more, more broadly. We've talked about this before, how people are natural evangelists. We are. All of us are just wired. When we find something good, we want to share it. Think about it. We share what we love, movies we love, shows we love. you got to go watch it. you got to see it. It's great. We love telling our friends about it or if it's places we love to go, beaches we've found or destinations that we visit or food or restaurants we like to eat. you got to go try this place. you got to get the super burrito there. you got to go get the curry there, whatever it might be. I played pickleball for the first time this last week with uh, some members of our church, Paul and Tanya. If you know Paul and Tanya, they're expert pickleball players, and they invited me. I went and played pickleball. Had a great time. If you've never played pickleball, you need to go play pickleball. It was great. But I seriously, I went afterwards, and I told probably like three or four people this week about my experience playing pickleball. I was like, it was so fun. I loved it. I had a great time. You got to go tell pickleball. No, they didn't tell me like, Matt, we need to build up the pickleball club. You got to go get some more people. You got to bring them back. I just naturally was telling people, if you haven't played pickleball, you got to go check it out. It's really good, right? We're just we're natural evangelists. We we we're wired to share what we love. It's just what people do. It brings us joy to share good things that we found with other people. And so with Christianity, with following Jesus, not only do we believe and affirm that Christianity is true and that Jesus is real, but that Jesus is good. Following Jesus is life-giving, transformational, right? And so we have to wonder if we don't have at least some kind of desire within us to share that good news with other people, that joy with other people, we have to wonder what's, what's going on in our hearts. Have we experienced this new life, this good news of Jesus? Now, I, I should say, I, I don't, I don't want to oversimplify this because, let's be honest, Sharing Jesus has its cultural challenges that sharing other good things uh, does not, right? Culturally, there's no risk in a, a movie you love or a restaurant you love. There's no risk in just sharing that broadly, telling other people about it. If they say no or that's silly or I don't like burritos or whatever, you just struggle. Okay, no, no worries. There's not much more to that. But sharing Jesus carries more weight to it, right? There's more implications wrapped up in sharing the gospel. Sharing Jesus is not like uh, sharing a pizza, for example. Okay, when you share pizza, let's say you try to give someone a free pizza. Okay, picture this in your mind. No one is going to say, how dare you try to share that pizza with me? That is so rude, so condescending. Do you think I don't know how to make food on my own? Do you think I don't know how to find good pizza in town? You have to bring that to me. You pizza enthusiast, always shoving your pizza in people's faces, bringing around your free, free pizzas everywhere, and not to mention pizza's getting so political nowadays. The Republicans, the Democrats trying to get pizza at their conventions, trying to sell pizza everywhere. Goodness, it's too politicized. Or you're always, it's always pizza, not salad or sandwiches. You're so narrow with your pizza focus, trying to share your pizza. I can't believe you. No, no one says that, right? They're just like, oh, what do they say? Wow, thank you for the pizza. That's so kind of you to want to give this pizza to me. I'm, I'm very honored. But, but with Jesus, it's, it's a bit more complicated, right? The good news of Jesus comes with uh, the bad news of our sin, pointing out our, our need for a Savior. And so there's this 
fear for us sometimes, fear of rejection. And let's just be honest, I think one of the reasons we don't share our faith more is it's just simply fear. Can we just be honest with that? We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of damaging relationships. We're afraid of saying the wrong thing. And so what we do is we, we subtly hide this part of our lives. Right? We, just, we just don't talk about it very much. Uh, we're not willing to go there. And it's, it's ironic because in a world that says, right, be unapologetically yourself. That's our world. Like, you do you. Like, show the world who you are. Let it be known that you are this way. And in so many different ways, we think, well, that applies to everything else except being a Christian. When it comes to being a Christian, we want to kind of stay in the closet and, and hide. And so sometimes simple evangelism is not about, like, working up um, some slick tactic to go and share Jesus. It's simply being friends with non-Christians and don't hide who you are. Just let yourself be seen. So again, this woman, she goes and she shares Jesus with these people. You've got to come see this. It's this natural response, this overflow of what she's experienced with Jesus. And so first point, again, to the fill in the blank, evangelism is natural. That's what we do. Number two would be evangelism is personal. Okay, look at verse 29. What does she say? Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So it's personal. She goes and she shares, hey, here's what I've experienced. You've got to hear what this guy told me about my life, the change that he's made within me. This is her, her personal story. She's even uncertain about some of the finer points of theology, right? Could this be the Messiah? There's still some, some questions, some doubts mixed up in it, but she's like, you gotta come see this Jesus because he, he's told me everything I ever did. I can't explain this Jesus. He's unlike anyone I've ever met. He showed me he knew my past. He knew all about my husband's. He knew about my, my current life circumstances. I mean, he sees me. He, he knows me in a way that, that no one else does. He's unlike anyone I've ever met. Could this be the one we've all been waiting for? The one the whole world is, is longing for? Think about this. Sometimes we think that in evangelism, we have to have all the answers down before we go and share Jesus, before we go and invite. We have to be able to articulate every fine point of theology and doctrine that the church affirms. And certainly we all do want to grow in our ability to understand Scripture and doctrine and articulate what the Bible teaches, but we don't have to wait to have it all pinned down before we start, right? Because where does she start? Just her story. Come see this man who told me everything I ever did. And so maybe for you, it, it, it's simply saying, you know, I, I don't even know how to fully describe it. Maybe you're here this morning, you know, I've been coming to church, and I don't even know how to fully describe this whole Jesus thing or the difference he's made, but, but I'm, I'm encountering this Jesus, and and he's changed my heart in ways that I can't fully comprehend or explain. I see the things that Jesus says and the things that he does, and I'm compelled to know more. Something is stirring within me. I think he has the answers to what I most deeply need, and I want more. So come and check this out with me. One commentator put it this way. She speaks not as a theologian. She never really did have good theology. Rather, she speaks as a witness to someone whom she did not understand, but who had understood her. She's speaking not as a scholarly, uh, you know, pastor, theologian, 
uh, type, she, she's speaking just as a witness. Come check this out. And so I want you, church, simply to see that you have a story as well. Evangelism is, is personal. That's why a few months ago we had the monthly challenge to write out your testimony. Because I, I want you to, to think and see what Jesus has done in your life. The difference he's made. What you were like before Christ and what you're like now with him in your life. I mean, think about it. If you're following Jesus, there are some, some truths that we can say about you. That you are known by God. He knows you. He's called you by name. He's forgiven your sins. He's given you the incredible privilege of being his child, being a part of his family, experiencing the uh, incredible grace and love of God, been redeemed. And so think about, again, the specific details of your life. When did you come to know Jesus? What difference does he make in your life now? You have a story. And friends, going forward, this is how we're going to reach our city this is how we're going to reach people with the gospel. This is how uh, people are going to come to know Jesus. It's not through programs or through like a real slick Sunday morning experience because most non-Christians aren't even going to come here. So we can do like the coolest thing in the world in here and people aren't going to see it because non-Christians aren't coming to church. And so we're called to go out, not, not waiting for people to come to us, but we go to the world with our story of transformation and how Jesus has changed us and what that means for them. One other thing with this uh, piece about evangelism being personal is sometimes we think that our testimony won't mean much. You know, like what, what, what difference is my story going to make? Or I grew up in the church, so it was just expected that I would believe or whatever. I don't have a crazy story. But I want you to see that the woman of Samaria is this perfect picture, an example of who God uses. Somebody's saying, we're not good enough, or we can't articulate things clearly enough to be used by God, or I haven't arrived yet, God's not going to use me. But God, in his word, goes to great lengths to show us who he uses. Okay, think about this. It's no accident that the story of the woman at the well with Jesus is in John 4, shortly after John 3, where Jesus encounters Nicodemus. Okay, remember a few weeks ago, Nick at Night? We had a little two-part series on Jesus and Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And now we have Jesus with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And I want you to just think about those two encounters side by side. Okay? Put them side by side. Uh, they are pretty much polar opposites in, in so many Ways. Think about the details with me if you remember them. Nicodemus was what? A Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He was morally and religiously held in high esteem. While the woman is the opposite. Right? She's an outcast with a morally questionable past and present. Nicodemus was a Jew. He was an insider, a part of the people of God. The woman was a Samaritan, an outsider, unclean. Nicodemus came to Jesus, whereas Jesus sought the woman at the well. Nicodemus met with Jesus under the cover of night. The woman came and met with Jesus at noon in the middle of the heat and light of the day. Nicodemus was a man. She was a woman. We know his name, Nicodemus. We don't even know her name. She's just the woman at the well. 
So in our human assumptions, think about that. He checks all the boxes of who we think would be used by God. Religious, he's a leader, influential, held in high esteem, a Jew, a man, in so many ways. And this woman is all the opposite things. And yet, think about the outcomes in the two conversations. Nicodemus is sent away looking like a fool, looking silly, doesn't get it, says less and less, and we don't ultimately know what happens to him there. Later we'll see Nicodemus pop up in the story, but for now, boom, not a very encouraging result. And the woman goes and evangelizes her whole town, and they get to spend a weekend with Jesus. So the text is showing us what's the lesson. Who does God use? What does the Lord require of us in order to be used by God? It's not all the boxes checked, all the human expectations and hoops. It's what? It's, I guess, a a receptive heart, humility, a willingness to be used. She checks none of the boxes that we typically look for, and yet she is the one God powerfully uses. So, friends, evangelism is natural. Evangelism is personal. Next, evangelism is invitational. Okay, look again, verse 29. Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And so verse 30, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. So what does she say? She says, come and see. Again. Good name for a sermon series. Come and see. It's this invitation. So not only does she say, hey, here's my story. Here's what Jesus has has, uh, done in, in my life. But there's an invitation for you to come check it out too. I want you to come see for yourself. I want you to come experience this as well. Come along with me. Don't just take my word for it. And so we are to be people who make invitations. Hey, do you want to come with me to church? Hey, do you want to talk about Jesus? Hey, have you ever read the Bible? Hey, can we have some conversations about this? Make invitations. Now, we're going to skip the middle of the passage. We'll come back to it. But skip down to verse 39, the part that Anne read, and see again the result. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, verse 42, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Okay, so you'll notice a few things. Verse 40, Jesus stays with them two days. Okay, a weekend hangout with Jesus and the Samaritans. Okay, this is so cool to see. Jews and Samaritans coming together, not just for one little encounter at the well, but for multiple days. I mean, think about this picture of unity. Again, remember, Jews and Samaritans, oils and water, oil and water. Racial barriers, religious barriers. Uh, They did not like one another. They did not get along. And now they're making s'mores and having campfires and playing, you know, beach volleyball in the sand with Jesus for an entire weekend. What a picture of unity, of, of racial reconciliation. Jews and Samaritans all centered around Jesus. And it's reinforced in verse 22 where their declaration is what? This man really is the savior of the world. Not just the Savior of the Jews, Jews, not just coming for God's chosen people, 
the Jews, but Samaritans too. Every tribe, tongue, and nation now has an opportunity to be a part of the people of God, even to the ends of the earth. And they say, hey, it's not just because of your testimony, her invitation to come and see, but they had this personal encounter with Jesus. Verse 42, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard for ourselves. So you notice that when you invite people to Jesus, Jesus is the one who does the heavy lifting, right? Jesus is the one who changes hearts. So we simply are the ones who invite. We can share. We can explain. But ultimately, uh, the pressure is off of us. We can invite people to say, hey, you can come to Jesus. See for yourself. And Jesus does the heavy lifting. And this also reminds us what? That we can't live off of someone else's faith. Right? You can start there. You hear a testimony or the faith of your parents and you can come to church based on that, but it can't last if it just stays there. Right? Eventually, that line has to be crossed where it becomes your own, especially again, for those of us growing up in the church uh, with kids or young people. Right? The invitation is for us what, to encounter Jesus for ourselves, that our faith would be our own, that we'd have our own story, our own testimony. Look, so we see the beginning of the text. We just looked at the, the end of the text. And this, it's kind of like a nice little sandwich, two buns that are similar. And then in between, the meat of the sandwich or the, uh, the PB&J of the sandwich, if you're a vegetarian, is found in verse 31. Look at what it says. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? Okay, so meanwhile, so the woman... Uh, goes back and tells everyone about Jesus. And while she's doing that, and they start to come out to him, Jesus has a little pep talk with his disciples. They came back with food. He's like, I have food that you know nothing about. And they're like, what do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean you have food? We just went in town to buy you food. We took this whole walk in town to get you food. Now you're telling us you already have food or, you, or someone brought you food. What's this all about? And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Then doing the will of the Father is life-giving. It's a source of joy and fulfilling, more fulfilling in this moment than food. And then he says, look at verse 35. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. There's a lot here to notice, but notice, again, we're, we're talking about evangelism. While this woman is practicing evangelism, she's modeling it, she's inviting people, she's telling people about Jesus. While she's doing that, Jesus is doing a little coaching, a little pep talk with his disciples, talking about evangelism. And he says a couple things. One, evangelism is for now, not later. Look at verse 35 again. He's like, there's a saying you have, hey, four months until the harvest, Hey, perhaps he's saying, you know, it, it takes time from when seeds are planted until the harvest would come. Or maybe the disciples were thinking the harvest is later. Eventually there's going to be a harvest, but it's not right now. But Jesus says, actually, no, the time is now. Look up. Open your eyes. Look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. The time is now. Right? The Samaritans are coming out. They're going to come to faith. We don't have to, to wait. I think we could apply the same to our day today. Maybe people are more ready to hear the gospel than we think. 
And some of us think, ah, they'd never want to listen. They're not going to come to faith. They're not interested. But Jesus says, the fields are ripe. The harvest is plentiful. The time is now. Don't worry about waiting four months. Maybe people are more ready than you think. Don't make that decision for them. Let them decide. And friends, this month our church's monthly challenge in our Go Where You Are initiative is what is to share the gospel. Just to go out and, and share the good news about Jesus with someone on your list. Pray for them. Invite them. See what God does. Not again in a, in a high-pressure, twist-your-arm sort of situation, but in a come and see. Here's what Jesus has done in my life. I wonder what that could look like for you. So evangelism is natural, personal, invitational, for now, not later. Can we, can we do one more? You ready for one more? Raylene, is that going to work? Okay, good. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Verse 36. Evangelism is a team sport. Check it out. Okay. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows, another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Okay, remember the context. Samaritans are coming out to see Jesus. People are coming to faith. Jesus reminds his disciples, you're about to experience a harvest, see a new life, people coming to faith. But someone else sowed the seed. Someone else watered it. Right? Perhaps he's talking about maybe the authors of Scripture, generations that came before them. Perhaps in the context, he's just talking about the woman, right? She's the one who went and told her village they're coming out to see Jesus. And then they're going to see them come to faith. She planted the seed. She laid the groundwork. But now they get to see the disciples, people cross the line of faith. And so his, his simple point in verse 38 is, look, you didn't do all the work, disciples. Other people, he said, actually did the hard work. So stay humble. <laughs> you're, you're reaping where you did not necessarily sow. So God often uses many people along someone's path to help them come to him. So our ministry, our effectiveness stands on those who have gone before us. God was long at work before we even showed up, before we got there. So it allows us to stay humble. And I think about the great things happening at FBC, think about the good things God is doing at this church. And I think about how this church started in 1942. Next year, it'll be 80 years, 80 years of ministry generations of believers, faithful men and women of God. I think of, of pastors that came before. I think of Pastor Scott Henning, most immediately who was here before in his ministry and his life that he poured out here at this church. So the work of ministry in the kingdom, it's a team sport, right? People have gone before us. The pressure is not all on us. And meaning, hey, if you plant seeds and you share Jesus and you water seeds and people don't come to faith, don't worry. It's not all up to you. You may be one step along that person's path, and maybe people will come along after you or in other settings and help that person fully connect the dots, and then that person will come to faith. So you might be just be one step, one conversation along the way. So evangelism is natural, personal, invitational, for now, not later, and a team sport. Friends, rather than just sending you out with a, hey, get to work, go do it, we want to end in a, a moment of worship where we're going to celebrate communion and celebrate the good news that we have to share.
and celebrate what it is that we're here for, why we're here, what we celebrate, and that's, of course, uh, the work of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, his sacrificial death on the cross to forgive us for our sins, his broken body, his shed blood for you and for me, so that whoever would trust in him would be forgiven, saved, receive eternal life in his name. So that's what communion is all about, is when we as a church family get to just celebrate the good news of Jesus and what he's done to remember him together. So you should all have these little uh, communion packets. I'm going to say a brief word of prayer for us to prepare our hearts for this, and then we'll, we'll take the elements together. So would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you, and we come to worship you and celebrate who you are and what you've done, that you have saved us. You have redeemed us. You have called us by name. And through your, your work on the cross, you have given us forgiveness of our sins. You died for us so that all the consequences of sin, judgment, condemnation, punishment for our sin, uh, we would not have to bear because you took it for us and so that we could instead receive mercy and grace and new life in your love. So we, we worship you, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that, that rather than feeling a, a spur in our side to, to get to work, we would, we would just start by celebrating who you are and that this encounter with you would just naturally overflow in our lives to those around us. So help us see you clearly.